musical linguistic objects. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And uh, I'll bet that you probably thought I forgot about you. Well, I've been busy, uh, but here are some fellow saloners who weren't too busy to make a donation to help offset some of the expenses here in the salon over the uh, past few weeks. And these generous souls are Cohen H., Brian B., Josh F., Stretch Films, Sassadar M., and longtime saloner Marjean M., uh, who I should add that over the years, Marjean has become our largest single donor here in the salon. And uh, I would like to add one more thing that Marjean has done for me. She has helped me relax a bit. You see, uh, like most of our donors, I've never met Marjean. And uh, yet when her letter arrived with a check in it, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I haven't done a podcast in over a week and there are all these donors that I want to thank. I can't believe I've been so lazy getting a new program out. You see, I'm working on two new books right now that I plan on publishing later this year. One of them is uh, what I'm thinking of as a postmodern kind of autobiography, and the other is a collection of some of the short stories and essays that I've written over the years but have never published. And uh, for what it's worth, my plan is to release both of those books in the public domain with uh, only an attribution required. And while they will be available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle formats, well, I'm also going to post PDF copies that you can download and print for yourself, uh, or give copies away to friends if you want. Anyway, uh, as I was working on my book of short stories, well, I came up with a really great way to tell a story that's kind of been lurking in the back of my mind for a long time now. I've just uh, never gotten around to writing it. However, uh, now that all of the main characters in this story <laughs> are long departed, I shouldn't laugh at that, I guess, but uh, since I really came up with a funny way of telling this story also, well, I got to where it was hard to put aside and do this podcast. Then uh, I received Marjean's letter, uh, in which she told me that she was happy to hear that I had spent some time goofing off. And I thought, wow, if Marjean is okay with me just goofing off, well, <laughs> then she certainly wouldn't care if I took another few days off to get my new story into some kind of a comfortable place to leave it for a bit. So uh, thanks, Marjean, uh, both for your very generous donations over the years and also uh, for understanding that us ex-Catholics sometimes need to be reminded that, well, it's okay to follow our bliss every once in a while. And, uh, of course, my sincere thanks also go out to Cohen, Brian, Josh, Stretch Films, and Satisar uh, for their recent donations as well. Well, now that I've got that off my chest, let's get on with the show. We've got a really interesting program today as our regular contributor, Shauna Holm, sent me a recording of a conversation that she recently had with Catherine Coder, who has uh, written a much-needed book for our community. In fact, uh, in one of the recent psychedelic stories that the Symposia Team podcast in our Salon 2 series, they pointed out the importance of integrating our medicine, uh, our psychedelic medicine, in uh, ways that can make some important impact on our lives. But rather than have me tell you about Catherine, let me pass the mic on to Shauna right now, and she can tell us uh, well a little bit more about Catherine's work. 
Hey everybody, this is Shauna Home, and I have not been on the salon for a while now, several months busy with my own projects, but I am so happy today because I have an, a really amazing woman for you. Her name is Catherine Coder, PhD, and I happen to know her personally, and she has a book out that we're going to discuss and uh, she's, she is quite the medicine woman. Uh, let me just read her bio for you here. Dr. Catherine Coder is a transpersonal psychologist working through elemental medicine, one-on-one -on -one meetings, and group trainings. She invites people to realize and express their full humanness to themselves in relationship and in community. Dr. Kat's specialties include trauma resolution, healing shame, relationship healing, cultivating the deep feminine, ceremony, and one-on-one -on -one client work for those looking for a deeper connection to themselves and their world. Her transformative work connects body, mind, and spirit to allow people to integrate at a profound level and live from their true essence. So she has a new book titled, After the Ceremony Ends, a, a Companion Guide to Help You Integrate Visionary Plant Medicine Experiences. And I read this book. It is very relevant, very essential. And so, Catherine, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I can't. I'm really looking forward to hearing you uh, discuss. I, well, I have got a lot of notes here and questions. So, uh, <laughs> so and, and this is all about integrating the visionary experience. And so... Yes. Let's start with that. You know, what is visionary medicine integration to you? Well, this is a this is a huge topic of consideration for me personally after going through so much of my training in transpersonal psychology and working with clients in a more um, let's say traditional format and the therapeutic context and then diving into my own plant work for years and then actually leading plant medicine ceremonies for about a year and then working with clients all across the spectrum, those going into plant work, those coming out of plant work, being, helping people inside ceremony, outside ceremony. And of course, then all of my own personal work <laughs> with the visionary, uh, with visionary plant medicine, and so integration was a an idea that I came into literally because I was stuck, and I felt that I'd hit a wall with my um, visionary plant medicine personal work, and I was trying to figure out how to get myself unstuck. And in that process, I realized, you know, <laughs> uh, as many people as had told me or had implied to me, shamans and otherwise, you know, medicine people and otherwise, that the visionary plants will just do the healing work for you. You just show up. You, I'm, I'm, I mean, and I don't, I don't mean to dismiss um, or discount people's level of earnestness and devotion to this ceremonial container and process because I had that myself. Um, 
But the idea was that if I just showed up in ceremony and sat there and participated fully in this process as much as I could, then the plants would basically do the work of my healing. I had to engage, uh, but really the heavy lifting would be up to them. And what I found after years of that kind of practice was that that just wasn't really true. (laughs) So there was an entire process of what I call integration of, of me actually taking the initiative and working with material that was coming up in uh, ceremonial contexts and afterwards, um, and, and working with different healers, working with myself, working with my spiritual practices, working with the elements, um, to, to help move and, uh, that material that was coming up in ceremony. So ceremony didn't just heal everything by itself. I had to participate after ceremony to help shift um, certain patterns and structures and my personality. And uh, that, that was and has been, because I've now been in a very strong integration container for about two years, um, that's been a, a lengthy process. And I, I feel like it is a lifelong process to take the insights, the revelations, the understandings from ceremony and actually live them in my daily life, walking essentially, um, walking the path, but walking the teachings, if that makes sense. Yes. The plants offered me the teachings and they offered me revelations, but it was my job to walk those into my, in my daily life, minute by minute, hour by hour, you know, I, you know, for the rest of my life. And I had to show up and have, have had to show up very powerfully to do that. And so this process for me is all integration. So literally in short, taking the teachings and revelations and understandings from the visionary plant medicine work and living into them on a day-to-day basis is what I would call integration. Okay, great. That's a great answer. <laughs> and you have really more than covered this process in your book, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to delve into some of that today. In your book, you state that you are biased against the individual use of visionary substances. And so I would like you to expand on that. I'd love to say more about that. Yeah. Um, sure, because that, that certainly would be a controversial thing to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I asked it. <laughs> right, of course. It's juicy. So... In my experience, and there is, uh, you know, in my book, I do talk about there being a caveat. So I'll just name the caveat. Um, I know that there are practitioners of visionary plant medicine out there that have trained and studied for years uh, with master teachers and had, you know, sometimes decades of guidance uh, working with plants. And I could imagine that those types of practitioners could initiate solo journeys. 
and have the level of containment and protection that's required for this work be present. Uh, I think that is a skill that some very long-term gifted practitioners can develop. Now, then there are other people who have had, not had that kind of training or the, that longevity of training, let's say, with adequate teachers, etc. And what I find is that, you know, these visionary plant medicine experiences are so powerful. I mean, I mean, they are literally mind-blowing. And I find that most people do not have the level of skill to be able to contain themselves as they are becoming completely uncontained. <laughs> so, so give an example of that, for example. For example, um, well, I will tell you, I have a number of people reaching out to me who have initiated a solo uh, visionary plant medicine experience for themselves without any kind of uh, facilitator present who can adequately handle what might be arising in those minutes and hours that transpire. Mm -hmm. And they get lost somewhere in the experience. And they don't know how to get back. They, and often when they've reached out to me, they're not back. They're, some of them, you know, part of them is back in terms of their personhood and their ego. But part of them has been split off into another realm and is traumatized uh, we would call that, this would be a process of soul retrieval probably yeah. to, to get that piece back. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are living in this very uncomfortable liminal space between feeling whole and not feeling whole. And it it can completely upset one's world. You can become completely dysfunctional. You cannot be able to work. You cannot feel like you can relate to other people. You can feel like you don't know yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't like The self stops being able to recognize the self. And I've had this experience, and it is very, <laughs> it's very unpleasant. Um, and it's very disorienting. And from that place, thoughts of suicidality can start to occur. And, and, and so there is, in my mind, a a very real danger to initiating these extremely powerful experiences by oneself without any, without a person there that is holding the container, that's holding the space, that's making sure that you're not doing anything that would put your life in danger, for instance, while you're extremely altered, or um, that if you need assistance or help or you find yourself in a place of extreme terror that there's not someone there to put their hand on your shoulder and say it's okay I'm with you so so that's very basic and then you know of course you know Shauna we could 
get into all of the, hmm, let's say, um, etheric energies that become present mm-hmm. in the visionary plant medicine experience and what gets opened and what sort of etheric energies can then enter this type of sacred space that may or may not be welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so if a person is very altered and they're by themselves, they may not necessarily have the ability to protect the, their container so that these energies or entities don't attach to them um, and invade their space. So... Yeah, yeah. I could yeah. say more. But. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, this is interesting because, you know, I, I note that we have no touchstone in this modern culture for this kind of work, right? So, so mm-hmm. those guidelines are not sort of common knowledge, right? Of, of well, yes, of course, you know, be most helpful to work with someone, whatnot. We just simply don't don't have that, and so we have a lot of, you know, people just engaging this on on their own, and and it can absolutely blow your mind, and 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 uh, can be very frightening or challenging or absolutely wonderful, or you yes. know, people come out of it thinking they're Jesus, and so sure, <laughs> and uh, and so and you know, I I gotta lead into the next question here because which is about. This okay. Well, this this what I want to talk to you now about is is how you observe a very after that a very minimal integration in folks who are exploring psychoactives and 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 noting that their answer seems to always be more ceremony. Oh, I'll just yes. do another one and another one, yes. and uh, and so yeah, I'd love for you to speak to that because it's something that I have noted in you know certain people as as well with concern. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote about that in my book because that was my experience. I mean, I worked with a, a medicine person consistently for about four years and there was never a conversation. I mean, we, we had a very quote unquote close relationship. I was a very close student to him. We spoke on the phone regularly, uh, et cetera. And the answer was always, well, we have another ceremony coming up or we have a ceremony that's going to be happening and wherever, and oh, we have an intensive retreat that's going to be happening, you know, you should come to that. And, you know, innocently, I thought, oh, well, yeah, sure. And, and I want to be a part of community. And, you know, I love, I love being a part of these spiritual communities where people are working on themselves and exploring deeply. I mean, this is what I love. Yeah. So I, you know, of course I wanted to say yes, 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 yes. I want to go to everything. And I mean, let me tell you, if I think about how much money I spent mm-hmm. <laughs> traveling the world, doing all these things, quite a lot. Um, but nowhere. And, and, and so that was, you know, one teacher that I worked with. And then I worked with several other uh, medicine people and various medicines and, and, and still, Nowhere in any of those ceremonies either was there a conversation of, you know, you've done a lot of ceremonies the last six months. Maybe you need to sit the next six months out and just work on this 
trauma that's coming up around not feeling seen from a young age. I mean, there was never a conversation. Never, never, never did anyone say, don't go to the ceremony. It was always, come to the ceremony. And the, somehow the ceremony will figure it out for you and, and everything will be fine. So there just seems to be almost no conversation around integration in the ceremonial context. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't... I don't know exactly how to reconcile myself with that. Uh, I think sometimes it feels like there's a bit of a nefarious energy there, or maybe it's just ignorance, a lot of ignorance. I mean, perhaps in, you know, more traditional indigenous contexts, if you were to be living in a village and working with these medicines consistently, then the integration might just be happening all of the time in your village life. Well, I think, sure. I think also uh, <laughs> there is a difference in the way these indigenous cultures use those medicines because, you know, Westerners are endeavoring to yes. heal a lot of inner yes. trauma so, and whatnot. And, yes. and, and so it's, it's a different approach than, than happens. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and I think that's also part of the challenge. And thank you for bringing that up. Is and there, you know, there are many, you know, beautiful anthropologists that have been studying these Amazonian shamanistic cultures and um, noting the differences between how more traditional Amazonian societies are working, for instance, with ayahuasca and other types of medicines, and how Westerners are working with it. They are different, mm-hmm. um, very different, and different objectives. And and so how. You know, how <laughs> how does a Westerner work with these more traditional medicines when they've been used in a completely different context and a completely different culture? And how does a medicine person from um, perhaps an Amazonian culture, for instance, work then with a Westerner who has very different objectives from how they've been taught to work with medicine traditionally? So, you know, there is a, there is potentially a huge disconnect there that does happen in a medicines person, a traditional medicine per- person's ability to work with what a Westerner is actually attempting to work with. Uh, this is why I think it's so important to have people like yourself, people like myself, uh, and others who make themselves available to assist mm. people to integrate so that they have someone to turn to because of course I've spoken to people as I know you have that you know it's not can't exactly pick up the phone and call the shaman in Peru and uh, no. <laughs> you know run run this stuff uh, by him or her so so this role of of assisting people to integrate is really important and I had someone who I worked with who told me that they had worked with the mushrooms as a teenager. They tried the mushroom and they had a very profound experience, but then came out of that experience and looked around at life as it is and just said, this sucks. Mm -hmm. This sucks. And there was no one for this person to discuss Mm -hmm. their experience because they were also in a very religious environment Mm. and they turned to alcohol and for a number of years just drank 
and 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 so wow yeah so so you know the role of of a practitioner to assist in the integration process i think has never been more important and uh this leads me to my next question here you talk in your book about the 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 essential need to change interiorly and say you say that unless one is dedicated to changing those old habits will return and so that these substances they'll illuminate those areas mm. often in your journey they'll they'll bring this to your attention mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, you are you say in the book that unless you're diligent beyond that in your self work, those old habits will return. And so I would love to hear you elaborate on that. Oh, absolutely. And I mean that comment that I'm making in my book is is nothing new. I mean spiritual practices, intense intensive contemplative practices of all kinds in all traditions have been bringing up our deepest wounding since we've been practicing them. And whereas in, in any of these wisdom traditions, including working with visionary plants, you can have a transcendent experience or an illuminating experience. That is not where this ends. That nothing has then been what something has been revealed and something has been seen through and something has been opened but it's not done. And so I'm very grateful to the field of transpersonal psychology, which I was fortunate enough to be able to study um, for incredible modeling and wisdom around the topic that you're bringing up. And so often I find that the plants, the visionary plants uh, serve as incredible teachers and they will illuminate a pattern in our personality structure. It's almost like a constellation. It will light up, and you'll see, oh, that's related to that, and that's, oh, that's coming from there, and then right, it just kind of lights up like a, a whole matrix, uh, which, of course, psychologists have been writing about complexes and these matrices, you know, matrices for, for a while. Uh, nothing new there either. And... And yet, okay, so we've seen the pattern. But just because we've seen the pattern doesn't mean the pattern has changed. But it means that we have awareness around the pattern, that the pattern is there. And, of course, awareness is absolutely essential in order to be able to make the change or make the changes that we might want to make to live in a more full and whole and integrated way. So... I love, um, I was able to study with a beautiful Native American teacher for a little while. Um, Her name is Mona Palaka, and she talks about her her spiritual practices, and she talks about the idea of this sort of the half moon versus the full moon. And so there's, in a way, this half moon is we're coming to awareness of what the pattern is. And the full moon is we're taking steps, we're taking action in order to make those changes. And to live in the fullness, we have to have both. And I think what's really, really challenging for people in visionary plant medicine work, 
because they've sort of been sold this promise that the plants will do the work for them, (laughs) is that they're not really expecting that they're going to have to be doing a lot of this work and making a lot of these changes and going perhaps to therapy or going and working with a somatic practitioner that can help them release body-based trauma or changing their diet or um, changing their life, changing their lifestyle, making huge corrections that spirit or in their own higher self and essence are asking them to make. So the work is, there's no shortcut, Shauna, right? That's right. That's right. That 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 is the... The disillusionment, I think, around the plant work. Well, and I think it's an essential grow up Mm. opportunity for people because Mm. we've been infantilized in this culture now. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. everyone's pointing their finger at the government saying, well, do this for me and and fix that and do that. And then they go to a doctor and, well, give me the pill. Where's the pill? (laughs) Make it go away. And, uh, Quick fix. Exactly. And and so the medicine, I think, in its ancient wisdom mm. is saying, oh, I will illuminate this for you. More than happy to do so and even offer some wisdom. But of course, mm-hmm. you know, you're either going to take it and work with it or or just or not. Or not. And yeah. so let's talk about ego death. Uh <laughs> And uh, because, you know, you and I are on the same page here in that you specifically say that this is not about destroying the ego entirely, Mm -hmm. as as I quite agree. Like, we need our ego. If you destroy Mm -hmm. your ego, you're dead. (laughs) But I mean, you go into a psychiatric ward. Right, right. right. But of course, you know, aspects of the ego that we've, uh, uh, of of ourself that we've outgrown, need to need the heave ho. So I would like you to expand on that. Well, I, I thank you. I like to differentiate between the traumatized ego and the ego. Now, of course they're part of the ego, but uh, I think if we make that differentiation, we can see that there, and, and people who are really deep in the healing path, Uh, know this. They know this kind of inside and out. They know that their ego developed almost like, like a tree, right, that's growing. And say that there was this huge impediment around the tree, you know, it's just got to grow up, it's got a root, and then it's got to come through the earth. And there's this gigantic rock, you know, so the tree will grow around the rock in order to find life and when we've experienced as many people have um, early childhood wounding pre-verbal trauma uh, just a very deep sense of not being met not being seen uh, no one was consistently present uh, from a young age that that then forces the ego to develop in a certain way that is then an a adjustment it's not exactly how the ego would naturally like to grow um but it will do a workaround and for survival because we have a very strong mandate to survive and we'll do whatever it takes to do that 
no matter how dysfunctional or self-destructive that ends up being. And so what we find, I think, often in this work is that this these these very profound adjustments that our egos have had to make in order to get us to where we are today become seen. They're seen at a much more profound level. And, you know, I would call parts of those those adjustments the sort of the traumatized ego. And, you know, there's so many beautiful therapeutic modalities and I think all of them would point to the need to have as much as we can a huge capacity to have compassion for how our ego has had to um, twist and turn in order to allow us to be here and to, to see those adjustments for what they are as what was necessary to survive. Now, what was necessary to survive, as you know, is not often what is necessary to thrive. And so there's this delicate dance that then begins to help our kind of our larger ego to be able to see these aspects of the traumatized ego and allow those sorts of um, parts to be seen through, felt through, acknowledged, witnessed, um, held, and loved even. And this is not for the faint of heart. Mm-mm. <laughs> I talk about it all theoretically, but I mean, there we, we can sometimes hate these parts of ourselves. We we have hidden these parts of ourselves off in a deep dark drawer or cave that we never ever want to see again, and we run from them. We will do anything to feel them or be with them. Um, this is this is work is not for the faint of heart. Absolutely. No. no. And so, yeah, you're, you're going into shadow here, deep shadow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my late teacher, Brew Joy, who was just a just masterful teacher and uh, quite the student of Jung. And, mm-hmm. and Brew talked about this delving into our shadow piece and saying, first of all, that you know, the ego itself can't handle that because it's identified with a certain identity. It's like, no, sure. that's, that's not me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said it's important to remember that these aspects are but a clump of trees in the forest of mm-hmm. your being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it doesn't define you. And then he also said the way into this work is through the heart center. Mm-hmm. In that the heart center can hold the whole show, <laughs> the whole show. And, uh, and so I, I never forgot that. And all right, you, you talk about spiritual bypassing, which I quite, uh, I found this really interesting. Rather than looking deeply at those disowned parts, mm-hmm. 
there are people focusing on transcending all of it. <laughs> They're just going to transcend the ego, transcend the, you know, and, and thereby avoiding this very necessary work of shadow. Sure. I so, mean, it, yeah. it, so- it sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> just transcend, transcend, <laughs> we'll elevate our consciousness, we will... Or we'll ascend. Ascend. We're ascending. There's another one. <laughs> ascending. Ascending. Yeah, we'll, you know, the mountaintop and, 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 and just dismiss everything else that doesn't seem to fall in line with that and that's not really real and a lot of this focus on, I mean, Wellwood, John Wellwood, um, Wellwood and also Robert Augustus Masters are just really brilliant when they're talking about spiritual bypassing and I would refer them widely to anyone who wants to um, learn about that more. Uh, but the, even this focus on positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, just oh, don't don't even let that thought come into your mind. Mm-hmm. Just focus on the positive. You don't, fo- you know, and and there's a lot of shaming around that in our kind of modern new agey spiritual culture, and you know, this conversation around oh, well, you you manifested this horrific tragedy in your life. You know, obviously you're just not doing enough affirmations or, I mean, it's, it's gotten very twisted, um, and not helpful. So it's, I, I was fortunate to be a student of Ken Wilbur when I was in graduate school. I found myself uh, very interested in his work and, and from their perspective, the idea is always transcend and include, Transcend and include. It's never transcend <laughs> and transcend. Transcend and include. And so then I was very fortunate to be a student in the Waking Down to Mutuality tradition, which is actually a, a corrective spiritual tradition towards some of these more kind of tend to be like masculine dominant yogic traditions that are all about just transcendence. Um, that don't don't uh, have a huge amount of uh, that's the right word. I don't want to say respect, but uh, inclusiveness towards the body. I mean, thank you, thank the you. Body, mm-hmm. the earth, the mm-hmm. feminine. I mean, matter, uh, mm, matter. Mm-hmm. Yes, mother. I mean, it's just you know. So of course, you know, we've been five thousand years in the patriarchal, and and so it's no surprise, right, that there's this focus on on transcendence uh and for anyone who's really sincerely on the spiritual path in the modern world to forget the body to forget the earth um to forget our our basic humanness in the process of spiritual maturation is just seems kind of bizarre it's like, of course we would need to include that. And, but that gets messy, right? So it's like, oh, well, that's really messy. You know, my body's messy. Um, and I don't know if I want to have all these feelings. And I don't want to go to therapy. <laughs> I don't want to deal with my psychology. I just want to transcend. Uh, so, I mean, I understand. Um, the des- I mean, we just have such a strong desire to avoid pain. And we just really do. And it's embedded in us. Well, there's a lot of suffering in the current culture because people have lost touch with their ancestral cultural roots. I mean, we're in this 
melting pot, but it's really just, I see it as a corporate sameness, just a corporate mm-hmm. sameness. And I don't care what ethnicity you are, we're losing touch with, you know, with our roots. Mm. And yeah. I, yeah. Well, and I think there's, there's some kind of like little trickery, you know, maybe not little trickery going on, big trickery mm-hmm. where there's the idea that if you could just be Jedi enough, you could somehow remain and pursue your essential soul nature while putting on the suit and tie and pretending to be in the matrix. And I mean, that's something that I think is actually very challenging to do to, to not lose yourself in the, the machine of social conditioning. It's just, it's a very challenging and being a, a corporate wage slave. <laughs> how do you how do you do that and the other? I mean that that takes like an incredible incredible amount of skill. Um, and most people are just trying to figure out how to survive. They're trying to figure out how to pay their bills. Yep. They're trying to figure out how to bring children into the world in a way that seems somewhat healthier. I, people are overwhelmed. Yep. Um, so yes, if there's a spiritual teaching that says, you know what, you don't have to feel that pain anymore then well that's very appealing I mean it's very very appealing and I I certainly was on that path I was in a deep path of spiritual bypass for years without even (laughs) realizing it thinking that I was this earnest sort of devoted student and um you know and then at, at one point woke up to the fact that I wasn't going to be able to be whole Unless I addressed my trauma, unless I went into my pain, unless I went into my shadow, mm-hmm. that, that just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and I wasn't going to be able to be of service to anyone, including myself, unless I did that work. And I'm sure you've, you have your own story around that, Shauna. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. be of service. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I call this the work of know thyself. Mm. And, and that was inscribed over the threshold of the Temple of Delphi, and essentially saying, oh, before you step over this threshold, my friend, <laughs> you know, you have some work to do before you mm. really enter into the, the mysteries, and some deep, deep work. And so, and, and then I just think of it, even the analogy of just, you know, a good corporate CEO, a good one, knows mm. both their strengths and their weaknesses. <laughs> Otherwise, those become your Achilles heel, uh, heel and your company fails. So, so yeah, very important. And, and so speaking of that, you uh, also delve into the seduction of the visionary worlds. Mm. And so there's that desire to to sort of bypass everything, transcend, and then just stay in those visionary worlds. They're very seductive. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe not for everyone, right? But maybe right. For people like you and me. Um, I just, and I've, and, and in my integration process the last couple of years, I have just, I, you know, I've been, you know, I feel into that edge, that seduction, you know, every once in a while and I'll just wake up, wake up in the morning and, and I'll just, I'll be like, oh yeah, that, like, oh, that was so good, you know? Um, and part of like what was so seductive to me was that I felt like 
I was living through this mythological version of my soul or myself. And it was really awesome and like pleasurable. <laughs> it's like, I loved feeling this like depth. I mean, I'm a Scorpio, you know, that's, you know, it's my calling or whatever, deep, mm-hmm. deep, 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 but feeling this like incredible depth. And then, you know, seeing all the synchronicities and, you know, feeling like this, this sort of like the the veils very thin the the degree of kind of this almost like this magical realism that would present itself and it's, you know I have to say it's for me it was wonderful I really enjoyed it um, felt very profound everything felt very profound um, it was it it was very pleasurable um, for me. I, I don't know how else. <laughs> well, okay, so so okay. Here's what I'm thinking with with, with this is first of all, I think it, it is very profound. It takes us into mm-hmm. deeply f- profound places. It can bring us into connection with mm-hmm. really exquisite, wise intelligences, and 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 you know that for me has really shaped and changed my life in in really beautiful ways Mm -hmm. and there is the seduction i i think you were speaking to and i've noted this as well as people can get totally caught up with that you know like my feeling in other words is all right i live in a body as we were talking about before Mm -hmm. and i live in this 3d world and i see it more of as a gift that I've even found my way to these, you know, to the mushroom in my case. And so that is, I dip in there and I, I gain, I get gifts from that. And then I come back here. I have to integrate it and, and share that. And, uh, but remember my place. In other words, you know, that my place, I live here in this 3d world. Right, right now. And I, I think that seduction as their people just can get very lost in, in the other, the other world. Yes. You know, one of the, um, it's funny. It's, it reminds me of these, these ideas of disorientation and reorientation. And when I was really deep into the vegetal plant consciousness and that world, that it became my world. Um, And it wasn't, it wasn't as if I was going to the bar and drinking every night and passing out on the floor. And, you know, you know, it didn't appear to be profoundly unhealthy is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happened is that that visionary world started to feel like, that was the real world Mm. and this other world that I was living in was less real. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the visionary world felt like perceptually felt bigger. It felt like, Oh no, this is where, this is where the action is. You know, (laughs) this is where it's all happening. And, and so, you know, it kind of facilitated this kind of continued, pursuing like a of that kind of world and then as I came out of it it's like almost like coming out of water I realized wow actually that world is 
really small in a way. I had thought it was really big. Hmm. And then what I what kind of came to me afterwards was, oh no, 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 it's it's small in a certain sense because there's there's a, a lot of worlds. Um, and, and there's this world that my body is in that I'm living in and, and other worlds that if I had the time and patience and interest, I could probably go into. And then there's the visionary world, the plant world. There's, but there are many worlds and I had been, it was almost like, you know, Alice and the Alice in Wonderland thinking things are like very big and very small and, you know, kind of like losing sense of, um, relativity in some way like how big things actually are and how small things actually are and so it was I came out and I just had to almost like reorient my whole uh, understanding uh, based on moving away from that immersion experience that I had been in for a while so I'm sure other people have different experiences um, around that but I will several people um wise people pointed it out to me and that I was getting seduced by the vegetal world. And I, I didn't want to believe it (laughs) at first. Mm -hmm. I was sort of like, Oh, whatever, you know, that's, they don't really understand. It was like, first it was like, they don't really understand. Um, they don't really get it. I, but I, but I, I received the information. It went into my brain. I put it in a file and then I heard it again in a different format. And then I heard it again in a different format. And it was almost like a waking up process. Like I started waking up to, hmm, what if that's right? What if I have been seduced? What if I've oriented my entire life in a direction that isn't as complete as my soul would really prefer. Hmm. And, and I just kind of slowly backed out of the vegetal consciousness. But let me tell you, I mean, I, I would love to ask you the questions. How, you know, how do you hold going so powerfully into the vegetal consciousness and then coming out so powerfully and being here in our, you know, sort of consensual reality world. I mean, that that takes an incredible amount of skill to be able to go in and out. Yeah, well, that's why I think the preparation is so important. And I'm talking about uh, years of, uh, mm. or a certain amount of time of, of deep psycho-spiritual study. And so, uh. I mean, you know, I, I did not, I, I didn't do anything. I don't drink I don't yeah. smoke cannabis. I, you know, so when I came yeah. to the mushroom, I was 48 years old and I'd, uh, prior to that had a, a solid eight years of really deep exploration mm-hmm. and, and, you know, a teacher like Brew who was, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful I found him because he was the one who, you know, introduced me to Carl Jung and, and, mm-hmm. and he was a master of shadow and dreams and he, held us accountable there and he would use what we called the black needle every so often you know <laughs> and um he would just burst your ego and bubble not not cruelly no but in other words 
he wasn't pandering Mm-mm. you know to overly sensitive what no no if you were working with brew you were engaging with a teacher who was you know going to engage you all of you and my god he was good at that and mm. i learned so much it was very mature teaching and and so much of it was new to me when i first came to it and I realized, my God, I'm so grateful I had that before the mushroom because, oh because gosh, yes. you know, it, 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 it can take you into directions that are n- not mm-hmm. so healthy if you're, you know, if, if you really don't know anything else. And, and yeah. so that leads me into my next question, which you talk about beautifully. What are the signs that you're overdoing this stuff? Mm. How do you know if you're <laughs> if you're overdoing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that you know this is this gets to be a controversial conversation. Yes, it does very quickly too. And and I really you know when I was feeling into it, I I sat with I sat with that idea um, and just reflecting on my own experience and what I've seen in clients and what I've seen just peripherally. I I have been embedded in this work a lot in South Florida and there's very strong practice communities for visionary plant medicine in South Florida. So it's it's in the field. I've been around it. Um, I, you know, and, and I have to own this. This is my opinion. I mean, it's, I would call a professional opinion, but it is my opinion. I, I think questions that you have to ask yourself, am I, when you're considering, am I overdoing it? I mean, hopefully that's even a question in your mind (laughs) because I, I have definitely seen that even asking that question isn't even, I mean, that is a good question to start with, right? Um, am I overdoing it? Because sometimes that question is not even asked. Now, starting there, I feel like, you know, based on my understanding and the work that I've done and other scholars that I've read and, you know, if, if, um, you're sitting in ceremony more than once a month, um, or even more than once every few months, I... I would wonder about that. I would wonder, did you really integrate that first ceremony? A ceremony can take a year to integrate. It could take five years to integrate. One ceremony. It could take a lifetime. <laughs> I have, I definitely have ceremonies that I'm still integrating and I will integrate for the rest of my life. So, I mean, the question is, you know, am I overdoing it? Have I integrated if the plants gave me a teaching or showed me something did I go work with that teaching or revelation before I went back to ceremony that would be a question I would ask myself Um, I would wonder I would I would I would have to wonder I would want to check myself around Am I being seduced? Why, why do I want to go back to the ceremony? 
did I like the people there? Did I like the energy? Did I like being around the fire? Did I like the feeling of love and belonging that happened there that for whatever reason I don't feel in my day-to-day life? Am I going back? What am I going back for? Right? What What is the ceremony going to give me? Really? Like, I, these are hard-hitting questions that one would, I would suggest ask themselves before going back. And it takes a fair amount of uh, willpower to ask oneself that question, number one, or discipline, and discernment. Um, so I would also say, you know, if something came up very powerfully in the ceremony that felt like, wow, this is a part of myself I really need to attend to that I didn't even realize was there. Have I gone outside of the ceremonial context and tried to find a a healer or a a psychotherapist or a body worker or an acupuncturist or some kind of uh, professional who can then help me with that that came up? Have I done that? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So... You know, do I, how am I engaging with the material that came up in the ceremony in my day-to-day life? You know, am I journaling about it? Am I meditating on it? Am I praying about it? What am I doing day-to-day to help myself with what has arisen in the ceremony? I think, you know, those are questions that I would ask. I would want to ask, or I'd be curious about, uh, I would suggest people ask themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe, are you spending money that you don't have? Because you have to go <laughs> again, again. <laughs> that's not on my list, but that's a great one. Uh, that's a great, and that's the seduction, right? That's part of the, that's part of the seduction, I think, that happens there. It's, it becomes so important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you uh, you write in one of your chapters in relation to trauma work that, yeah. quote, we are the ones we are waiting for. And you speak to the personal responsibility around that. And I would love for you to speak more on that. Oh, sure. Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, moving from this more infantile uh, orientation towards our in our life, mm-hmm. <laughs> orientation in our lives to actually becoming in a, becoming mature. Um, now, I have always felt, and I'm not sure how you feel, Shana, that the plants were always telling me that personal maturity and maturation and responsibility taking was of paramount importance. Mm-hmm. It was like if perhaps the most important. It wasn't about the visions or the this or the that, but it was about how can we get you to take more responsibility for yourself in your life? That, I mean, I got that teaching repeatedly. So in a sense, what I'm writing about in the work around trauma and healing more widely is Part of what I've seen in just my psychological practice and what I've learned is that a deep part of our, our healing is becoming personally mature. And that means taking responsibility for ourselves. And when we take responsibility for ourselves, 
we're not relying or expecting or feel we don't feel entitled to someone taking care of us or doing our work for us plants or otherwise (laughs) we take action to help ourselves and you know that is when you see people taking action to take care of themselves in their lives you know that they are well well um positioned on their healing path because they are doing what is required in order to become whole and they have made themselves available for that they have their uh in psychology we talk about marshalling of will the Mm -hmm. willpower they have they're channeling their energy into that kind of action and they've in in a sense surrendered they've surrendered to Okay, yes, I have work to do. And they're, and and just as a, you know, beautiful 50-year-long meditation pra- practitioner goes and sits on the cushion in the morning, the person wakes up in the morning and they move forward responsibly towards their healing and um I think there's a deep humility in that that emerges as well and uh so all of these things combine you know, a sense of marshalling one's willpower, waking up to the need for personal responsibility on your healing path. No, a healer doesn't heal you. That's right. You heal yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you, you get support from healers, right? Like I say a healer is someone who is healing themselves. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't heal people. You don't heal people. People heal themselves they may need some stabilization or some support around that, but but inherently in in our own being, we are choosing to heal. Yes, one of one of my teachers uh, said it this way. He he would say, "Look, I am just the pizza delivery guy. Oh. I, I'm bringing you the pizza, <laughs> and then it's up to you. <laughs> you yeah, take it from there." Choice. <laughs> yeah, but I'll bring you. I'll bring you the pizza. I'll sh- I'll bring it, or or I think of it as the gatekeeper. You know, I'll open the gate here, step through. This is what I can offer. But, you know, you have to take those steps. So, so yeah. Now, also, you talk about the importance of of having a contemplative practice of some nature. And so what what might that be? And and what are the benefits of that? Sure, I. I think we're really lucky and fortunate uh, in some regards to have access to so many different options for contemplative practice in our modern world. I mean, we, we're at the buffet of <laughs> spirit, um, unlike, you know, even probably 100 years ago, very limited offerings at the table. Mm-hmm. And so I... I encourage people to to choose, you know, what feels right to them. Uh, What feels right to them might be uh, something very, very traditional, waking up in the morning and offering the earth water and greeting the sun and saying prayers. It could be sitting on a cushion and um, having that sacred time. Um, It could be... uh, 
some sort of a, a beautiful like a movement practice, a tai chi, a qigong, a martial art of some kind, or dance. Uh, there are so many different contemplative practices available, and um, I th- what the beauty of a consistent contemplative practice offers meditation, prayer, movement, more earth-based spirituality, is a form of grounding and um, continuity. So, of course, there can be uh, insights received through contemplative practice and uh, a sense of connection uh, often or or disconnection sometimes, <laughs> um, and, and, and a personal evolution to one's relationship to their contemplative practice. Those are all very interesting things. Yeah. Um, but what what I point to for, especially for visionary plant medicine work, is a grounding. <laughs> a and and because visionary plant work is is sometimes inherently ungrounding, and so you know, what goes up must come down. And if there is a consistent contemplative practice of some kind, then that can anchor the work and it can anchor uh, the body and it can anchor uh, one's sense of self in the 3D reality, which is the one that we live in. So that's important. And can provide this um, lifeline. I mean, a lifeline. Now, I also find that a consistent contemplative practice can also provide an incredible amount of stabilization inside the visionary plan medicine experience. And I don't know if I wrote about this in the book, honestly. I don't, I'm not sure that you did either. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember writing about this. I think it's just coming through right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know... In the destabilization that can happen um, with the visionary planning, it's kind of things are getting unbound. To be able to have a practice of breathing, for instance, mm-hmm. to be able to have a practice of, you know, being with the earth, connecting to the earth energy, uh, a, a meditative posture, posture where you can be able to watch your thoughts go by. Um, and to return back to the present moment consistently. Now, if you have a consistent spiritual practice, you have that, you've developed that strength. Mm-hmm. You've developed that tool. Mm-hmm. And that can be extremely helpful. Also in integration, since we're talking a lot about integration today, um, in order to be able to, to go into the shadow material that inherently is part of the healing process, having a consistent spiritual contemplative practice of some kind can enable one to be able to withstand um, the challenge to the ego, to be able to go into the shadow more effectively um, and, and not just want to run and hide all the time. So it's a, for me, the consistent contemplative practice is very strengthening, very grounding, mm-hmm. uh, fortifying, you know, at this kind of like body meets spirit level. Yeah, nice, nice. I, I really appreciated that you discussed in the book the importance of working with nature mm. and incorporating ritual practices to invoke 
assistance from the elements. And so I'd love to hear you elaborate on that. Sure. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess I personally had the benefit of going through um, a multi-year training process with a African, a West African teacher named Maladoma Somme, and his work, his ritual work, his elemental work that we studied and practiced was something that I was able to take into my visionary plant medicine work. Um, and I had found it, I found it enormously helpful in terms of um, feeling that I could step into the ceremonial space, I could step into the ritual space and become unbound and then come back together again. Um, the, for me, the, the visionary plant world is, is all about the elements. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so, it is the elements. I mean, and, and our bodies are the elements and mm-hmm. we are the elements and we're living in the elements and, and, and the visionary plant like, sort of breaks you into that elemental world sometimes just like much more profoundly than you've ever experienced it before. But, you know, to be able to, um, to receive the teachings from the fire, uh, to be able to, to sink into the earth energy, the Pachamama, the mother nature energy, to be able to receive the teachings from the elements in that regard, to receive the stabilization of the earth, to be able to, to work with the alchemy of the fire as part of the visionary plantness experience, especially if you're in a place of really releasing. You know, there's a lot that wants to be released, and being able to have that relationship with fire that enables that alchemical transformation to happen perhaps more quickly, to be able to receive your own breath, to receive air, um, to breathe into these spaces in the body that are, you know, really trying to shift or move something. Um, water, I mean... <laughs> Goodness, water I means so much to be said about water, but being able to, to work with that in the space and to um, invoke the healing, the deep healing that, uh, that water, water offers. It's, it's water always finds a way. Water always finds a way through, you know, to, to be able to receive that as part of the work, whether in ceremony or outside of ceremony. And for me, working with the elements was a really beautiful way to ground um, some of the more visionary states and, and to be able to help my body to make the transitions that it wanted to make, to, to release what it wanted to release. And I, there were ceremonies where I really feel that, you know, Pachamama saved me. Mm-hmm. It, was, <laughs> it, was yeah. not, it was no small endeavor uh, either and that was you know sometimes the only thing that was ho- that I could hold on to and and pray to and um, and to receive from and it, I don't, it's, it's um, I find myself just at a loss for words honestly that you bring this up because it's so powerful and it was so important um, it is I think it's it's the whole idea of ritual. It goes way back in time, and it's in all of us. It doesn't matter it what race. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's in all of us as human beings. And, and to bring it into this kind of 
deep experience, I, I think it, it just, it, it helps exponentially. Now, yeah. um, we just have a little bit of time left, okay. uh, a couple more things, but I, you spoke of something that is near and dear to my heart. You spoke also about the importance of diet and exercise and mm. rest, pointing mm. out that these medicines can be very depleting mm. to the body. And so talk about that. Yes. You know, I think that is also what you're pointing to is a, another huge misconception around the visionary plant medicine work. That, that's the idea about, well, it's a plant, so it's good for me. And it's not going to deplete me. It's going to enliven me and it's going to help my body. And, um, you know, that that is something that I think probably not everyone has that misconception, but it is, it is a misconception that I ran into. And especially with intensive use of the visionary plant medicines, it's, it is, can be incredibly energetically draining. And the physical body can really suffer. And so, you know, it's, it's just, this is just probably a piece of like grandmotherly wisdom that always gets passed down. I mean, if one is going through an incredibly transformative experience and a lot of shifts are taking place to to resource the body becomes just common sense mm-hmm. so you know water food uh, movement rest these are just basic um, physical practices that one would would want to engage in if they were to want to be healthy at all. And, of course, they align with the plant work. Now, I think people don't realize how much rest they might need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, in the visionary plant work, uh, you know, one's energy body changes quite dramatically. And a lot of things are happening on the physical level as well. And And to allow proper time for all of the pieces and parts to come back. Um, and, and I think this goes back to you know, this more feminine understanding of really honoring the body, you know, honoring matter, um, and treating the body as a temple. So there's a, a love and a care that... You know, for me, ayahuasca said to me, she said, I, I mean, one ceremony where I think that I was being hosted and I ended up purging for the entire group for about 10 hours, which wasn't very pleasant. But at the end of the ceremony, ayahuasca said to me, nothing, nothing. And she was very specific. Nothing is more important than your physical health. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. She said, do whatever it takes to maintain your physical health. Amen. Whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. So I know you're very deep into that work, Shauna. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and we, we will receive, we will not be able to read our environment properly. We will not be able to read other people properly. We will not be able to read ourselves properly if our bodies are not healthy, we will receive a distorted view of what's happening mm-hmm. inside of us and outside of us. And so the healthier we are, the more we take care of ourselves, 
clearer we are. Our body supports that. Our body wants to support us to be clear. But we have to give our body <laughs> what it needs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it, you know, it becomes like a, a great, a great ally to us. And and it, and it, it's amazing. Our bodies are, you know, our greatest teachers in some way. You know, so I, you know, talking about exercise and rest and movement and water, it's it's really just it's a lot of body care. And, and treating the body as a temple, treating the body as the math master teacher that it is. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. All right, well, you finish this excellent book quite rightly, I think, with a chapter titled Returning to the World. And you include a quote there by Woods that I would just like to read. Mm. And uh, so it goes, it says... Uh, what stimulates the mystic's return to society is not love alone. Rather, the mystic is drawn to the world from which she had withdrawn in order to carry back the answers to the questions, her society's questions, which she had borne within her into her solitude and which were raised to consciousness in the process of reflection, assessment, and reintegration. Having recovered the integral vision of the society which produced her, the mystic must communicate that vision in word and deed. And then you write, quote, The crux of visionary plant medicine is how we move into the world and participate. End quote. Uh, just mm. beautiful. Beautiful. I'll just speak a little bit about that, and, and that's a good place to uh, conclude. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you. I, I wasn't quite sure how the last chapter would be received by people who read it. Um, I, I just, I, I feel so deeply that those of us who have been blessed to have endeavored in uh, a mystic's path, who have had the privilege to be able to withdraw from society um, to to gestate on some of the largest questions facing us um, and our humanity and have had the privilege to be able to work deeply on ourselves um, and heal and we we have such a, a a huge potential to come back into the world from this place of um, profound wholeness and offer so much. Uh, and it doesn't have to look like millions of followers or, or anything like that. It, it just could look like being present uh, in a way and, and responding to what we're being faced with in our society in, in a way that is that actually is um, what's the right word uh, healing I mean for lack of a better word that's, um, that's that's opening that helps other people access the deeper parts of themselves um, their own essential natures their own soul natures their own higher selves in a way that can perhaps encourage others um, to to know that they're not alone, 
to know that the questions that they have and their deeper longings are are important and and essential for all of us in humanity. And so I think to return to 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 have been able to receive um, from the plants to be have to have been taught to have practiced the teachings to have learned something and to be able to bring that what I might call wisdom uh, lived wisdom back into the world is just I mean for me there's that is so hopeful you know it's such an opportunity it's such a gift and um, I would really encourage people to to keep going on their paths to keep following the thread all the way through, you know, through their own healing work and back into society, back into their families, back into their relationships, back into their workplaces, you know, so that we we start living the reality that we aspire to. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So much wisdom there, my friend. Uh, How can people reach you? Sure. Thanks. Um, I'm, I have a website, uh, which is katherinecoder.com. I'm sure you're going to be posting something online with the spelling. Yes. Catherine with a K. Catherine (laughs) with a K. Catherine the long way. Um, You know, through email. I'm also on Facebook. Um, and would you, would you mind if I just said one small thing about the elemental school? Oh, of course. Please, please. Sure. So one of the, um, one of the things that spirit said to me as I left, um, facilitating, uh, plant work, I said, what now? And spirit said, elemental work. (laughs) So I started um, a couple of years ago offering seminars in elemental medicine, and I have been able to join with a beautiful soul sister um, whose name is Liv Wheeler. Wheeler, She's a contomble diviner and a ceremonialist as well. And we have started a sacred elemental wisdom school and institute and we have a year-long certification program that we are starting in July. We're going to, it's only for women uh, at present, and we're going to be taking 14 women into that program. And we have a website, which is sacredelementalwisdom.org, and we're on Facebook under Sacred Elemental Wisdom. And I offer that out as uh, a point of connection for folks who for women especially who want to go deeper in, into the work of ritual, into the work of elemental medicine, who want to have that kind of grounding and orientation. Maybe they've been in the visionary plant world and, and want to go deeper in the elemental direction or want to have that as as part of their uh, practice, um, even still working with visionary plants. So I just want to throw that out there as... Um, something that could potentially be very much in alignment with someone who wants to integrate deeply and have a lot of support around that. Excellent. And a community. And a community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Great. All right. And then to access the book, this is an ebook form. Yes. It's ebook form and it will be released. I have a page on Facebook 
called Visionary Plant Medicine Integration. And I will be releasing uh, the book as soon as it is finished <laughs> completely. It's, it's going through just the, uh, the last stages of um, production now. So I will be releasing information about that on my, on my Facebook page, Visionary, Visionary Plant Medicine Integration. Also through my professional page, Dr. Catherine Cotto on Facebook. Also on my website. So I'll be releasing that um, widely on different forms of social media and websites. And I will say that I, you know, I will be offering it for free initially because I want uh, as many people who want the information to be able to access it. So if you're someone who's listening and this is something you're interested in, please plug in to uh, my social media pages and you'll be the first one of the first people to know when it's released and um, you'll be able to get it for, for free. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, Catherine, thank you. Thank you. Oh my so gosh. Sean, thank you. Uh, yeah. This was just great conversation as usual. I mean, we have such a great connection anyway. And yes. I just, I'm so thrilled with the work you are doing. And uh, so, yeah, so have a great day and we will talk soon. Thank you. And thank you so much for your support. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Well, now there's another book that I need to add to my shelf of current reading, which uh, <laughs> is already kind of overflowing, I should add. I just uh, finished reading Matt Palomari's new novel, No Thing, and uh, I'm almost finished with Listening to Ayahuasca, a new book by Dr. Rachel Harris, uh, both of which I'll be talking about in future podcasts. Also, I know that I've promised to read a new book about cannabis uh, that was written by one of our fellow saloners, but I'm sorry to say my email correspondence with him took place just before my old computer died, and uh, I haven't been able to find that message. So if you are that author, and if you know what I'm talking about, could you send me another reminder? Sorry about that, but sometimes us uh, formerly super-organized people, when we retire, well, we seem to become the opposite of organized. <laughs> of course, uh, it could also be due to the exceptionally high quality of the uh, legal cannabis that seems to be making its way to me from time to time. <laughs> and now that I think about it, uh, that definitely could also be part of the problem. Anyway, uh, this has been kind of a long podcast, so I'm going to cut it off for now, but I don't want you to forget that the MAPS Psychedelic Science 2017 conference is going to uh, begin later this week and uh, take place over the coming weekend. And if you live in the Oakland, California area, even if you can't afford a ticket to the full conference, well, there's still going to be a lot of talks that are going to be available on the symposia stage which is going to be located in the marketplace in the West Hall of the Oakland Convention Center. And uh, that's immediately adjacent to the uh, Marriott where the main conference is going to be held. Uh, and what a, what a lineup these guys have. Just take a look at their schedule, and uh, you can find that online at, and this is all lowercase, no uppercase letters here, www.symposia, that's P-S-Y-M-P-O-S-I-A.com slash, all one word, lowercase, psychedelic science. And I have to admit how impressed I was when I first looked over their schedule. They have a full day's schedule on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 
and it includes talks by Android Jones, Michael Devine, Mariana Denkova, Ido Hargison, and Jim Fadiman, uh, most of whom you already know from here in the salon. Uh, also, uh, Android Jones and Bruce Damer are going to help Duncan Trussell do a live podcast there. And there are more than a dozen other presenters who are going to be appearing on the symposia stage, uh, as well as the ongoing recording of anyone who wants to stop by and record one of their own psychedelic stories, uh, which may eventually be played here in the salon one day. All in all, uh, I think the symposia stage would be a great place to hang out and meet some of the others. And if you're in the San Diego area on the 27th of this month, well, then it would be great to see you at the symposia event that night in uh, San Diego. Both Matt Palomari and I are going to be there uh, telling some of our favorite stories, and we hope to see you there. But for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.